Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by Gymdesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Nick Albin, known best as Chewy from the Chujitsu YouTube channel. In this episode, we discuss how he came to own an MMA gym, why he decided to expand it to have a fully equipped fitness gym, and how he used social media and content marketing to grow his personal brand as well as his business. Without further ado, here's Chewy. Cool. All right. So probably most of the martial artists that that happen to listen to this podcast will know who you are. Um, but for those of that, that run like maybe fitness centers and yoga studios, maybe they don't know who you are. So if you could start by introducing yourself and telling us a little about yourself. Yeah. So is <laughs> introducing yourself. It's always kind of an interesting thing. So my name is Nick. Everybody knows me as Chewy or Jiu-Jitsu, since that is my sort of online moniker. Um, most of my students uh, and members of my gym know me as Chewy as well. The name is just stuck. Uh, during my mm-hmm. waking hours of the day, usually the only person that calls me Nick is uh, my fiance. Mm-hmm. And then me and my business partner, Joe, run a gym in Louisville, Kentucky, which uh, comprises mostly of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts type stuff and combat sports. Uh, but we also have a fully functional like weight training facility, um, which we have done stuff with everything from like Olympic lifting and CrossFit stuff to mm-hmm. basically private training and uh, personal uh, training for people on an individual basis. Very cool. Um, so actually, I'm going to skip to a question. So what made you want to open? I, I thought it was interesting. So I, I, I have seen you mention it a couple of times in some of your videos that you actually have a full gym component mm-hmm. on, yeah. tacked onto the, to the, uh, jujitsu slash MMA studio. Yeah. So what, what made you decide to do that? To, to do what, what do we, which one? To, to have a whole, well, both actually, but the, the one I'm most interested in this second is like, what made you decide to have an entire like fully functional gym inside of your your martial arts school? Because you don't find that super often unless it's like a really high caliber MMA school. Yeah. So what ended up happening? So we the gym was going, um, was moving, shaking, and it was around 2012, and we had like a little space to lift weights, um, in the gym, you know, we had a, you know, a squat rack and a bench press and, you know, mm-hmm. just the basic stuff. If you want to lift weights, I am a meathead at heart. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually, my first love as far as martial arts and athletics and all that stuff is actually, it was lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I got jumped and got beat up pretty bad by some, some much older people. And, yeah. you know, my buddy's dad took me downstairs with him, me and my buddy and my buddy's dad, we'd go down in the, his basement and lift weights. And this was around seventh grade. And so I just developed a love for lifting weights. Uh, for me, a lot of times it's very much my, uh, 
my Zen time, right? Yeah. And so my buddy, my business partner, was growing this sort of boot camp thing going on. He had a he had a boot camp going on for women, and that was taking off. And then at the same time, this is 2012, so CrossFit was starting to get kind of big, and he was getting into CrossFit, and he was like, "Hey, man, like let let's try to do this." And so the there was a we we're in like a strip mall right now still, and we're we're working on buying our own place now. Um, but at the time, this is several years ago. Next to our in the strip mall next to us was a beauty salon, and the beauty salon moved out. And so there was, there was an extra like twenty five hundred square feet that mm. became available, and we were like, oh, we want that space. And so we ended up taking that space over, you know, busting down one of the walls, building that space, and you know developing a business through that as well. And so we had, you know, boot camp classes, CrossFit stuff, everything else. And part of it is the reason is, I mean, why is because I mean, for me, most of the what I do with my business really is to essentially scratch my own itch. So for me, like, I teach classes that help me out. I teach classes that would have been something I would have wanted to, to do and, and engage in. And I'm trying to create a gym and a whole thing that is something that I would have wanted when I was coming up and something that I want now. Right. Like, I mean, we're still, we're still getting new toys into the, uh, the weightlifting area. Like we just bought like a, a brand new, like uh leg press from, from rogue. It's a great machine. We're just like l- l- lucky to have it. And I mean, I got it cause I wanted it. And now that we have it, all the other members liked it too, because like, man, this is great. Um, you know, and it's, so it's one of those things where I guess it's a, it's a creation of my own sort of desire. I want this stuff. And, uh, a lot of times that's a good place for me to come from. At least I've figured out in my, my world and with the success that I've had. Yeah. I, I wish, I wish that there was a facility around me like that so that I mm-hmm. could pay one price a month yeah. and, have access to like a squat rack and a barbell and a bench. Like, mm-hmm. so I don't have to pay $400 to put one in my, in my house on the third floor of an apartment complex. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's nice too, because, you know, we have, I mean, we have around give or take, you know, it fluctuates a little bit, but around 400 members uh, uh, to the gym. Wow. And what's really cool about it is, is that, you know, most people are doing the martial arts stuff, um, but you can use the, the gym stuff whenever. And, it never gets so packed that you can't move or that you can't get to a machine that you want. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a nice thing where, you know, you go to a regular gym and you might have to wait on the machine. You might have to wait on this stuff, whatever. Yeah. And in there, it's kind of an interesting dynamic where one, the, the equipment's open and then all of us already know each other. So we're all like lifting weights and it's, it's very much like you, you know, I don't know, um, what people think, but a lot of people have trouble going to gyms, traditional ones, because they feel so awkward. Yeah. You know, and because they don't, they don't want to do the exercise wrong or have people staring at them, mm-hmm. whatever. And so in our space, it's a bunch of, you know, people that are already training together in other forms. And then they're just lifting weights on top of it together. And then we have a, we have a, a number of members that just do the lifting weights, but they're closely connected to our gym as well. So they all, it's, it's a really cool close knit community all the time. Yeah, that's neat. I, I think that, um, and I'm sure you produce a lot of competitors too, but it, I think it's kind of like a, it's a lost opportunity not to have a gym inside your facility when you do produce a lot of athletes mm-hmm. instead of, you know, to farm, farm them out to other, I mean, you could have in-house trainers or people that you contract in, but it like, like you were talking about it, um, builds the community stronger. The links are stronger and people don't feel, uh, 
they don't feel like embarrassed or anything like that. I mean, there's, there, you could even, even if you got injured and maybe you can work on some of the machines, but you can't roll, you yeah. can still be at the gym. Oh and yeah. Do some, something for, for, for recovery and for, for like physical therapy and, and feel involved. Like I, yeah. there's just athletic improvement for, for performance. There's like so many things you could do with a, a, a gym component. Um, although I will say that that is a lot of overhead to take additional overhead to take on to, to do that. It, is. it sounds like you were already an established gym at that time, by the time mm-hmm. you expanded. Yeah, we've been we've been an established gym, and we'll say established meaning we're actually making profit and we're <laughs> yeah. doing super stable. Yeah. Um, we've been doing that since two thousand and two thousand eleven. So, mm-hmm. and wow. so basically, the yeah, members. The, but see, the thing is, is like when we when we opened up that weight training area, what we really did is we had a little bit of stuff, like a little bit of workout equipment, yeah. and then we were like, "All right, let's like." It was kind of that time everybody was doing it, and we wanted to get that whole gym area going, and so we sort of sold up front these boot camp classes, and we did not have a lot of weight equipment at the time. So we sold this boot camp classes out. Those started doing well. So then we used that money to finance more equipment. And then after that, then we opened up a CrossFit affiliate and then more people came and then we used that to finance the equipment. So, you know, we basically kind of got an idea of where we were going with it. And then we created programs and things like that, that people wanted so that we could finance the equipment that we were trying to get. Um, initially, like when, when, because th- things were even back in 2011 when you know, things were good, but they were 2012 too, things were still a little bit tighter. We couldn't just say throw up, like, all right, we're going to drop like 20 grand here to get a bunch of new stuff. Yeah. We had to be a little bit more mindful with the money, but we were able to do it by getting people in to offer a service form, y- bootstrap it, use what we had. And then when the money was coming in, then use that to get more stuff for them uh, to grow the program even more. Awesome. I, I love stories about like how you leverage one revenue stream or, or one program mm-hmm. to help fund another and then it builds and then you continue to build progressively like that. Um, that's really neat. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, sure. you, you said that you had actually got into weightlifting because you got jumped. You didn't like mm-hmm. being weak. Um, I think a lot of us can really, uh, relate to that. Uh, w- when did the martial arts come in? How did you get started on that? Yeah. So, uh, seventh grade started lifting weights because just like all of us that are lifting weights, we're trying to change something about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then in, it's interesting. So martial arts, they started with wrestling. Most people don't consider wrestling a martial art, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a martial art. Yeah. And I, I signed up for the wrestling team in ninth grade. And then I did not go to the tryouts. I remember when the high school intercom came on and said, okay, if you sign up for the wrestling team, go to the lunchroom or whatever. I just chickened out. I didn't do it because I was too nervous. But something was, <laughs> something was calling me to it. It was like I was supposed to do it. I don't even know why I signed up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I, I, it sounded cool. And then the next year, I remember over the course of being in freshman in high school, one of the guys got me to do football. So I started doing football with him. And then at the end of the year, I remember at the the end of the football season, I remember feeling connected to this group of guys and kind of liked it. And now I was getting ready to go back to essentially being a normal student with nothing to look forward to. And some of the guys were talking about wrestling. And I remember that I was kind of interested in wrestling anyway. 
And so since now I already had a group of guys doing it that I knew, I was like, well, I'll jump in with them and go try this wrestling stuff. And so that I began wrestling in high school and uh, initially got my, my butt kicked all over the place mm-hmm. and then ended up doing pretty well my senior year. And then right after like high school, I jumped right into jujitsu because I wanted to be an MMA fighter. And I think that I was drawn to doing these things because it was my own inner desire to not be a victim of the trauma that I had when I got jumped because I got jumped by 16 and 18 year olds. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they beat the crap out of me, broke my nose. Um, and it left me very in a weakened state. And again, I, like you said, I wanted to be strong. I didn't want to be weak and doing these different physical things like wrestling and jujitsu and MMA fighting and all that stuff. I think early on it's, it was a sort of a mechanism of my, myself sort of going towards this, this thing that I was afraid of, like afraid of physical confrontation. And by doing so, I conquered it and took the power back and then fell in love with it for different reasons later on. Awesome. Cool. When did you, when did you realize that you wanted to start specifically like an MMA gym? Was that to help your own training or like what, what was the journey there? To start an MMA gym? Like when I started it? Mm-hmm. So what happened was First off, there weren't like there weren't really any specific MMA gyms when I started, and then in two thousand and two thousand and nine, my coach um, was moving away, and I was a uh, brown belt in jujitsu at the time. For anyone who doesn't know how the belt system works in jujitsu, it means I'm like one belt below the black belt, kind of one. I mean, at the, you'll you'll see people teaching at brown belt. Mm-hmm. But it was a little bit more common back then. But most of the time, it's black belt and higher, right? And so it was around 2009. My coach was leaving for, uh, with his wife and he um, was selling the gym. And the gym at the time was not doing well. I mean, it was like barely making, barely barely even. You know, it wasn't really making a lot of profit or anything like that. So it wasn't like you're buying this like flourishing business. And so... Uh, at the time, I didn't have the money for it. So my friend ended up buying the business uh, from my old coach. And then I ended up becoming the head coach at the time. And then later on, I ended up buying uh, the business with a, another friend. We just bought the business outright mm-hmm. um, from the from the second owner, I guess you'd say. But originally, it was my friend who, who had put up the... Who had held the note to buy the business. And then I, I started growing the programs. Okay. Cool. Um, so how, when, when you, you said that, that when your friend bought it and you were Mm -hmm. helping to build the program, it was maybe making a little bit of profit, but it was not, it wasn't like a a sexy deal. So, so no, um, how did you originally go about growing your gym? Um, and, and has that, has that approach changed over the years? <laughs> oh, dude, the the old approach was fucking stupid. Um, I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea about business. So, right. 2009, I started teaching, and then by 2010, I decided I was going to do this stuff full time. I was like, I want to go full time. Um, basically, I sold off pretty much everything that I had. I, um, basically, it was a one night. I was driving. Uh, my car and we had had a really cool training session that night. And at the time I still had a day, like a normal nine to five type job. Mm-hmm. And I had to go in on Sunday. And I remember just being so frustrated because I didn't want to do the job anymore. And I remember like having this flash of like my subconscious, the universe, whatever God you want to call it, basically was like, 
pull over. Let's figure this out now. You can do this. And so I pulled it over. I, I looked at my baseline bills, how much I actually had to pay each month and essentially getting rid of everything that I possibly could. My base bills were like about $1,000 a month. So I called up my buddy and said, Hey, can I get $1,000 a month? If I get this, I don't know where the rest of the money's going to come from for things like gas or food or anything else, but this will cover my car payment and all this other stuff that I still had around. And so... He said, yeah, we can do that. And so in June of 2010, I went into a full-time and I just knew that if I went into this stuff full-time, that people would start showing up and classes were going to start growing. I was wrong. That's not how it works. Um, yeah. Granted, we, we get we got some because we 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 had an amazing product for the for the area, um, and so we get a ton of referrals. And obviously, so a ton. Of, and by referrals, I don't mean we actually even had to. Ha- at the time, we didn't have a referral program. Mm-hmm. They just told their friends because it was a really good experience. Because yeah. for me, I figured if I just gave these people the best experience I possibly could, and I was teaching classes every day, that people are going to show up. And I, I was right about that. There were a lot of people that showed up because of those reasons. But when you're trying to run a business and actually make some money, you're going to have to do other things. So this is around the time I started getting interested in the idea of marketing. Because I didn't know what I was doing. So marketing is what I need to do. And I I remember coming across some book. It was like guerrilla marketing or something like that. And it had all these like really cheap ways to market. And to be honest, I think some of them, a lot of them weren't very good. Uh, Like for instance, one time we were... We bought a bunch of like yard signs, and it said box. It said boxing and jujitsu, and we were going around town, like stapling these suckers up on um, on telephone poles, which apparently I think is illegal. But they never charged. They did anything, but but we were just going around doing this. So we'd hop off the pickup truck, pop pop pop, put one on the telephone pole, back in the pickup truck, and you know we maybe got one or two people off that, which I mean whatever we yeah. paid for the yard signs, but we didn't really get much else to it, and then. Um, you know, so, but, but I knew that this marketing thing, that's how you get people in. And so one of my first big, like big marketing campaigns slash failures was, and this is just kind of fun because it's, it's, it kind of illustrates what goes on now. So around 2011, there was a UFC coming to the, to the city, right? Uh, to Louisville. And we were like, okay, what a great place to just get people, people that are interested in our mixed martial arts and jujitsu and boxing, all the stuff that we do. These are the people that we need to get for our gym. It just makes sense. And so what we did is we got, um, I got this idea from a friend of mine who did it in Nashville, but I didn't really know what he did on the back end. So obviously it just didn't make sense, but I was just seeing on the front end what he did. So we went, we made, we got some videos made of the gym. It was like this little intro song and a compilation of the gym, you know, that was like had music blaring and stuff. And then it basically said, give us a call, join us today, that kind of thing. And we put it onto a DVD and then we got these really, really attractive uh, women. One of the guys was in a fraternity. He got uh, <laughs> he got these really attractive sorority uh, women to pass him out at the fight. And so, like when we we get to the UFC event, we're, all of a sudden we see all these women with free DVD shirt on. They're running around and they're handing these DVDs out right before the fight. And then we just knew, dude. We got we gave out like two thousand or three thousand. I can't remember. It was several thousands of these discs. People are going to be flooding through on Monday. And um, again, it didn't happen. And I think that it would have actually worked better if we would have given the discs out after they were coming out rather than Mm. before, right? Because you're giving them a disc and then they're going to go drink and they're going to be at the event. Rather, like, it would be better to get them all pumped up. They just got done watching the fight. They all think that they can fight now. They want to be the next UFC champion. Here, join us and be that. And then the, um, the, the DVD did not have any sort of 
real, what I would consider like, it wasn't based on good direct response principles. And so you didn't have yeah. that nice, like, here's what you need to do. And here's this like time-based yeah. offer, anything, nothing like that. And so that failed, <laughs> but it was, but it was a good mistake and we learned from it. And so, you know, those were some of the early ones. And then it changed into more of like, we started having some success with things like, you know, Google AdWords and stuff like that. Um, and then we started learning how to, uh, personally, I started learning how to use like sort of organic marketing where essentially you help people out and you develop a fan base and a following. And then from there, people come to know, like, and trust you. And then it's very, it, it, it's a lot more sweat uh, on the front end, but it's a beautiful thing because then people get to know who you are. If you're, if you're transparent, like I am, you'll get to know who you are. And so like when people come into the gym now, they've watched my videos, they know who I am. And it's not even a question. They're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm signing up. Like I'm ready to be here because this is the guy that I've been watching in the videos. And of course, like there's no question. If he's in my town, I'm, I'm going to train with this guy. And so there's, we've done a lot of different stuff over the years. Um, and you know, some of the stuff works for other people. Some of the stuff doesn't, some of it works for us, some of it doesn't, but, uh, it's very much just like for us, like in martial arts where we're constantly Tested, testing out techniques to mm -hmm. figure out which ones work for us. Um, like for instance, we tried Facebook marketing. I, I, we did, we had terrible results with Facebook uh, leads for our actual gym business. Right. But we have, we have a great R ROI on our AdWords and Google AdWords leads. They're yeah. fantastic. Um, and there's reasons for that. But then likewise, uh, but then on the flip side with the Google or the Facebook, I've had great results with say my online business stuff with Facebook leads uh, and Facebook ads. Um, so, you know, just different tools for different situations. Yeah. Is that, is that how you got into uh, YouTubing? Like make the Jitsu channel is to, was that to help your gym out or was that just like a personal project? What, what, what led you to that point? Well, I, I always kind of, I wanted to do videos for a while. Mm -hmm. I, I always kind of, I liked YouTube. Um, I liked, I mean, I always watched it and I always enjoyed it. And there was all this stuff that was never covered that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I remember as far back as 2009, I wanted to start making videos. And in fact, in 2010, I remember I, um, I was getting ready to make a video and I had my camera put up and I was going to do a gi review because at the time I remember like I bought these geese and there were never gi reviews up. And and it's like, you know, back then it was a lot of money for these geese. They, they weren't as easy to come by as they are now where you can go on a website and get them cheap. They were kind of expensive and there weren't that many places that sold them. So I was like, okay, I'll do a gi review and tell people about them. So I tried to do this gi review and if anybody's been in front of a camera and you're not used to it, it's a very weird experience to talk to a camera with nobody else around. Like it's different. Like you and I speaking, like we're talking and there's this conversation going on with two human beings. But yeah. when you're just staring at a mechanical eyeball that's inanimate and it's not speaking back to you, it's very weird. It's very hard to project yourself. And so I started speaking and my girlfriend at the time was just laughing hysterically and she's making fun of me about it. And so I kind of like got like a little bit traumatized from it. I was like, man, I suck at this. I just need to lock this up. And um, I came back to it again about two years later and started doing videos here and there. And then what ended up happening, kind of where the YouTube sort of following grew, was that in 2015, I started kind of doing the videos more regularly as a part of my blog that I started. And then... And around that time, I started doing drilling videos for my students because a lot of my students would come in for 
training sessions and they would mm-hmm. come in for open mats and they would say, Hey guys, who wants to come drill? And I watched some of their quote drilling sessions yeah. and they were basically just hanging out, talking for a few minutes and they would roll and not necessarily the worst thing, but you're not really drilling. And so I put together these drilling videos that were essentially my way of saying, Hey, listen, if I'm not here to run you through this, just follow along with these. These are decent. And then that's when the channel started to grow. People are like, oh, this is good stuff. And then all of a sudden, I started getting lots of questions from people, um, you know, just asking about random stuff. And so I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll answer these questions because there were lots of channels that I liked that were doing the same thing. I mean, Q and A's are, you know, I mean, it goes back to the Dear Abby type stuff in newspapers. It's just such a classic format. And there's all kinds of different channels that do that. And so I was like, yeah, I, I kind of like this. I'll, I'll, you know, give my own spin on things. And, um, just like I would in the gym, because in the gym, I was very, I'm, I'm very much a guy where you, as you might notice, you ask a simple question and I go on like a long diatribe about something. Mm-hmm. And so it was already kind of happening in the gym. So I was like, let's just transport that to the camera and to YouTube. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, um, on the YouTube is very heavy on the techniques you can find any technique video you could possibly think of, but yeah. more of the abstract stuff, like things that I'm into, uh, like training methodology, approaches to training, um, how to design drills and exercises and things like that. There's actually not, there's actually surprisingly little of that mm-hmm. mindset, think like psychology, sports psychology, not a ton of it. And if somebody does address it, it's, um, it's a little bit surface level. So yeah, that's definitely something I have appreciated about your videos over the years is um, not just doing like, oh, here's how to do this u- u- unique arm bar that I, you know, saw at a tournament or something like that. But yeah. here's, here's this, uh, this like wizard escape from side control, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> um, right. But yeah. Well, the, it's because the techniques are easy. You yeah. know, te- techniques are what people do every day. They teach techniques. Getting up and speaking and I'm sure you understand this, getting up and speaking and being able to articulate your thoughts in a way that are coherent and entertaining is another type of skill to develop. Yep. And it's, and it's not, it's not necessarily easy and sort of a dirty secret about a lot of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belts and competitors is that they're not all that disciplined. Mm. Um, they might speak about discipline. Like I'm a disciplined guy, man. Like, and they'll tell their students, you need to be more disciplined and this and this, but really uh, most of the time it came easy to them. You know, like for instance, like, I mean, like me, like doing jujitsu, like rolling that never took discipline. I love doing it. Like from the moment I started, I freaking just love doing it. Lifting weights requires no discipline to me. I just like doing it. Like sometimes in the early morning, because that's when I really like to lift is the first thing in the morning. Sometimes it kind of takes me a little bit to kind of get going. But Mm -hmm. like once I'm at the gym, I love being there. I love the feeling of being done lifting weights. And so those things really didn't require that much discipline to develop. And and so, but when you develop other skills that maybe don't come as naturally to you or as come as easily, then you actually have to develop some serious discipline. Now, yeah. the process is the same, right? The process of getting good at these things is basically the same, right? You're constantly um, putting forth your reps, getting feedback on how you performed and then trying to improve for later, that kind of thing, learning new techniques and tactics to implement. But ultimately, you know, the fact that you may not be naturally as inclined to do it is what's going to create a struggle for you. And you can see this by, you can go on YouTube and there is literally like in my niche of jujitsu and stuff, there's a ghost town of YouTube channels. You know, a guy did a video once or twice and then stopped. You know, he posted a video, didn't get a lot of results and said, ah, screw this, I'm going to do something else. Um, it happened with podcasts in 2020. 
everybody was sitting around doing nothing. And they're like, I'm going to start a podcast. So they started a podcast. <laughs> not, that, And I don't know when you started your podcast. If you did it in 2020, I don't care. It's fine. Um, but what ended up happening is then after 2020 like, was kind of done and you know people started going back to work and doing their normal yeah. schedules, then you had to dig into the discipline because you didn't have all day free to actually do this stuff. And then all those podcasts, they like stopped, you know, they just stopped at, yeah. at, at whatever episode they were and they didn't continue. And so yeah. you can see that sometimes like, you know, certain things, certain people lack discipline for certain activities. And so I think it's that it's very easy to teach a technique um, because it's what we do all day long. It'd be the same as like a personal trainer and lifting. Hey, here, here's how to do a bench press. Okay. Thank you. Um, what's your philosophy on like on lifting weights? Like, what do you really think about that? Then right, you have to, right. then you have to be much of a, you have to be much more of a deep thinker. Um, and you really have to tease out your ideas. And to be honest, a lot of people don't do that. They don't really think about their ideas beyond a surface level. There's like, you know, pump the iron, get strong, do this arm bar. Cause I said, so yeah. not necessarily, they don't get down to the deep philosophies as to why they're doing certain things. Yeah. You have to think about it more deeply and you have to have a broader base of knowledge because if you start sure. speaking outside you know, as a jujitsu guy, maybe you're not a personal trainer or maybe you're not like a, a certified strength coach, but you do, if you want to be a good competitor and you want, especially if you're, you don't come from a very athletic background, you want to like catch up and get strong. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to know a little bit about, about how to train and you have to have, you have to have some thoughts about how that pairs with your jujitsu training or whatever combat sport that you do. So you do have to have, you have to broaden your knowledge base, even if you're not an expect, expert on everything. And then you have to think really deeply about how they pair together and what's, you know, what do I know about biology? What do I know about skill acquisition? You know, mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. It's funny that you say um, that everybody started their podcast in 2020. This podcast started, we, we launched um, the beginning of this year, but okay. uh, I have a, a personal podcast called the Com Combat Learning Podcast, okay, um, which is about, uh, motor learning and, and, uh, skill acquisition for martial arts. Cool. And, um, I started that in 2020, but, but in my defense, <laughs> in my defense, I've continued it nice, <laughs> nice. through working. I was actually working yeah. full-time nights at the, at the time I started it. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about it for a long time before mm -hmm. 2020. It, that's just the opportunity. Right. That's when it struck. So I was like, well, I, I'm caught between jobs right now. I've got like yeah. this dumb security gig that I've got to do here to whatever. I might as well start, do something else with my time. Yeah. And there's um, nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. 2020 was a great year to take you out of your routine and yeah. then make you assess what you were doing. And, you know, it was a beautiful time for a lot of people because they got to figure out, okay, I don't really want to do what I was doing or I want to change things because, you know, you see that with the work at home movement and like people being able to work more remotely now. And it's a beautiful yep. thing. But at the same time, you, what happens with some people is, you know, they have those moments of clarity where they have, they're, they're sort of taken away from their routine and then they go back to the routine and they just kind of go back to it just because. Yeah. And so that that's the thing. So I think what happened was some people saw this moment of clarity. Hey, I want to do some of these projects and some of these things. I think it would be a lot of fun. And then when things started happening, they got sucked back into their schedules. And the other things that they started doing during that period were just, they went by the wayside. Right. It's like those ruts in the road where um, the road's old and the tires keep falling into the same place. And it gets a, like a divot that, yeah. that pulls your tires in. It, you know, when it rains, it'll flush it out and maybe you'll, be out of it. But as soon as the water goes down, you'll be a pull right back into the, mm -hmm. it's basically the same thing. Cool. So what is your, what is your, um, actually let me, let me back up. 
has your YouTube channel helped your school grow? You mentioned about the the content marketing where you kind of build a relationship with a prospect before they get to the gym so that by the time they get there, they're ready to, to sign the line. Uh, I know you can do that on Facebook. You can do that on Instagram. Yeah. Has YouTube specifically, has the channel helped grow your, your, your gym? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, something I didn't really make clear earlier, and this is my fault. Part of the other reason why I was doing YouTube videos is because I thought that what we were doing at the gym was pretty cool. Um, What ended up happening is a lot of times people would come to our gym and they're like, dude, this place is awesome. And they would sign up. They would come from other gyms and sign up. And it was something where I didn't really think about it, but I would have people that would literally, there were guys that were training all over the place. They would come to our gym, like the atmosphere in here is incredible. And I always thought that was neat. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I'd like to do some videos to kind of showcase that too, to some degree. And when I started doing the videos and doing all that stuff, what ends up happening is I don't obviously, you know, more people watch the videos that never become members because obviously you're talking about an international base. We're not just talking about my, my city. But what ends up happening is, is if anybody in my city goes to search up jujitsu, they're going to see my face because I just have so much content and it's been well-received and I've put a lot of work into it and that kind of thing. And so what ends up happening is those members or those people see my face. And so they start watching this guy. And I don't really make it explicitly clear that I'm in Louisville, but then a lot of times they go deeper and they find me. And then boom, they like they they find out I'm in Louisville and they sign up. Now, this is yeah. a cool thing. This is like um, what is it? Dan Kennedy talks about this, like <laughs> the the best people swim upstream, right? Yeah. So you can go acquire customers by buying them. I mean, we all buy our customers. Everybody pay you pay something for your customers at the end of the day. Yeah. But when it comes to paying for them, some people will just go out, you know put it on Facebook ads, put it on whatever, and then buy those customers that way. And you can see your actual acquisition costs, things like that. Yeah. When you do something where you put out content and people find you, they discover you on their own. And whenever you mm-hmm. discover something on your own, there's a different sort of situation that happens. You weren't, uh, you know, for instance, when someone, when an ad pops up in front of us, we're all hesitant. We're all a little bit, mm, we look at it, we're saying, man, is this guy for real? Because, you know, there's so many shysters sh- out there. There's so many people that are uh, essentially with, especially with the internet world, you've got so many people in the business space that are, information guru types where they have lots of information. They've never used any of it in an actual business. Their only business is selling you on how to yep. run a successful business. It's absolute, it's hogwash. It's, it's basically yep. like, <laughs> it's the guy, it's the, it's the, you know, the obese person telling you how to lose weight. It's like, okay, like give me something else. Like you've never put any of this into practice. So with that, when someone finds you, you don't, they don't have that resistance because you didn't put an ad in front of you. They found you on their own because you were searching up stuff. And then with your content, if you give them good stuff, then you become associated in a, in a certain way in their mind. So for instance, there is this, it, it's a really bad thing, but there is with coaches, a lot of times there's this proclivity to want to wow people. Mm-hmm. They want to like, oh, look how much stuff I know. Look how cool I am. And and basically, mm-hmm. they're trying to impress people because they have insecurity issues. Mm-hmm. In Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you see this a lot where you'll have new coaches who want to do techniques that are way too complicated for beginners, mm-hmm. but they look cool. 
And so you get people to, to, to like try them out and you can do whatever. And same thing with social media. You'll in jujitsu, you'll see a lot of like social media stuff where the guys will do these crazy techniques that would never work like for anybody if they just, if there wasn't a huge skill discrepancy. Yep. And so, and you see this in weight training too, where guys do these weird, funky exercises, um, you know, that again, nobody actually does, but they look funny and they, they looks like it could be interesting. And so it gets likes and stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem with doing that is, is that the people aren't going to get results from that. And if they don't get results and they're not going to associate you with someone that gives them results. So for instance, you may get a quick, um, you know, a little burst of likes or shares or whatever on that particular post, but when people go to buy something, they're not going to go to you because they're going to be like, well, yeah, his stuff looks cool, but it never works, you know, or yeah, like it, it's got some neat ideas, but that's too complicated for me, you know? And so what ended up happening is I started putting out a lot of stuff and I was basically giving stuff out as if they were my students. So I had to keep it simple and um, effective because I'm like, I've, this is the stuff I'm giving to my guys. My guys are going to be watching this stuff. And so as I started getting that stuff out, it was simple stuff. Now, going back to the original idea, when people then find my stuff, it's good stuff. It's stuff that's going to help them physically, mentally, um, technically with all their stuff. And so they're like, man, this guy's good. So not only they found me, so there's not that resistance of an ad. And then on top of that, I give them good stuff so that then when it comes time to actually buy the, you know, the decision to actually pay for something, they're like, yeah, this guy's done so much for me already. Of course, like that's the guy I'm going to go to. And so when they, when those people finally come into my gym, I mean, bro, they're sold before we even even asked them to pay for anything. They come in, they get yeah. a good experience. The gym is just like they expected. I'm the same guy as I am in the videos in person. And they sign up right there and they have a good time and they become, you know, flourishing members of the gym. And um, they're, they're people that end up sticking with it for a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm a content marketing guy. That's what I do for, for Gym Desk. Um, I got into marketing because I used to teach Taekwondo. Okay. I had a Taekwondo club for about a year and I had to shut it down because I needed to take a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if I wouldn't have had to do that, if I knew more about business and especially about marketing, mm-hmm. I didn't grow very much. I had excellent retention. So the product itself was sound, but, um, I, I got into marketing after that, uh, literally learn how to market because I wanted to come back around later and actually be able to open up a successful martial arts school. Um, but yeah, what you're talking about with, with the content marketing, that's, that, that is, that is definitely it. I think a, a mistake that a lot of content creators make is that they try to create a persona mm-hmm. that isn't their own. Yeah. Um, and when you sell a business where a sell a, a service, like in the case of martial arts, um, or if you're like a personal trainer or a yoga instructor, anyone who teaches or has to be in front of somebody for the service that you offer, you can't, you can't create this like charismatic, uh, like this, this new image, this new thing that of, of about yourself to put into the, onto the internet and they come and meet you and you're like a different person and your energy levels at a different level. You talk differently. You're not as, you know, like you're not as polished, like all these different discontinuities between the way you present yourself in your messaging and the way you are when you're actually delivering the service itself. Um, I know that one of the things I've personally seen is people will, They'll, they'll do something that they put on Facebook or on YouTube where it's like really organized. Yeah. And, and then you get, then, the, and then they teach it a, a class or they teach a lesson and it's disjointed. Yeah. And it's scattered. Um, and it's sort of, sort of haphazard. 
Yeah, I think, you know, every one of us is different people in different situations, right? There, each yeah. one of us has multiple masks that we wear sure. throughout the day. You know, the way that I am with my fiance is different than the way I am with my students, is different than the way when I am by myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can 100% change yourself. You just want to make sure that those changes are intentional and they're who you want to become because we're all trying to change yourself. I mean, weightlifting, the whole damn point of weightlifting is to change ourselves. To do training is to change ourselves. It's to change ourselves into a stronger person um, physically and mentally so that we can do the things that we want to do, right? And with that, you know, I've changed several things about myself. For instance, like my voice. Um, my voice when I was younger used to have a bit more of a draw to it that we would associate with maybe being a bit more from the South. It would Mm -hmm. be much more noticeable. It still comes out in certain words and some people can pinpoint that, but for the most part, it's pretty neutral. It doesn't have a very strong accent this way or that way. It just kind of has that basic American sounding English Um, that was done intentionally. I didn't, I heard my, I heard a video of myself when I was like 24 years old and I didn't like the way that I sounded. So (laughs) actually it was 22, excuse me. And so I was like, I'm going to change that. I don't want to speak like that because that to me just doesn't, it doesn't evoke an idea of intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then even like certain habits I chose, I I don't really play video games. Like when I was younger, I used to love video games. And every now yeah. and then I'll, I'll play for like, like right now I have some friends that I'll play, we'll play for like an hour or two once a week. And it's kind of like just a brain dump for a little bit. You know, it's like my brain relax. Yeah. But when I was younger, dude, I would play video games a lot, like hours yeah. and hours of the day. Um, yeah. And I thought about it. I was like, I don't want to be the person that plays video games like that because that doesn't seem like it's going to be resourceful for me being a business owner. And mm-hmm. so there were lots of little stuff that I changed along the way with the habits and everything else. And it was done intentionally because it's who I wanted to be. And so the big thing is, is if you are going to put on a persona, Make sure that that persona is something that is a that is a mask you actually want to wear when you meet people because you like you said you don't want to be a persona, right? And then all of a sudden you, you meet someone in person and it's not actually the persona you want to put on. You know, you're just doing it for the videos, but then you don't actually want to be that person. So then when they come in, they're like, "Who is this person? This is not the person that I that I uh, big you know started to like in the videos and." Uh, you know, that's a, that's a definitely a definite point because I've had some people say that to me. They're like, yeah, it was so cool meeting you in person because you're like the same person in the videos. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, have you met someone else in videos? They're like, yeah, I've met a couple. Like there was one guy who's like, I've met a couple and sometimes they're not exactly who they act like they are in the right. videos. Right. Yeah. And I should, I should clarify on that because my teaching style, I'm more of a reserved person, like just in everyday life. But, um, in uh, the the new mental toughness for sport, I think is what the book is called. I forgot the name of the author, but um, he talks about the performance self, mm-hmm. and the performance self has to be connected to your your authentic self. But yes. it is different because mm-hmm. it is performative. Um, so it's more of a and rather than being actually different, I guess I could say is amplified. Yeah, right. So when I started teaching. You can't be quiet. You can't be, you know. <laughs> you can, but nobody's going to listen to yeah. you. It's boring as can be. Right. You, you have to have energy, especially when you're teaching kids. And um, so I had my first Taekwondo instructor was very charismatic. And so I picked up a lot of stuff from him. I did a instructor program there too. So I learned a lot from that program and from him especially. So I just... 
I uh, internalized some of that stuff and, and, and then kind of made it my own. And that's what became my instructor personality was, mm-hmm. was that. Um, but the jokes that I told the kids, those were mine, the, the you know, the, the particular flavor and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, my timing, that was mine, you know, that, 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 that was, that's part of me. And that's not something that I just stole from, from somebody else. So you do have to have that, that performance self. So if you're going to be in front of a camera, maybe it's going to be a little bit of more of a, um, of a, of an amplified version of yourself, but it does have to be a version of yourself. It can't be like a rip off from, from your favorite comedian or something, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like you said, you are different with different people and you have a different dynamic with people that are close to you versus, um, you know, maybe third, third ring acquaintances or people that you have to be, you have to entertain more, you know? Correct. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm even, I'm kind of a reserved person. Like, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I'm a social extrovert. So like in settings, mm-hmm. I'm in a, in certain social situations, like the gym and those kinds of things, I'm very much an extrovert, mm-hmm. but on day to day things, I'm very much an introvert. I'm kind of to myself and I like yeah. to, I kind of like to sort of, <laughs> I like to, I enjoy things like solitude, being by myself, yep. doing whatever I'm doing, reading, relaxing, whatever, because yep. it allows me to charge my battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I can go out and do my extroverted things. And um, I sort of count like sort of this is opposite to say like an, a, a true extrovert whom they go into groups of people and they're just like charged up with energy from it. I do get charged up with energy from those situations. Like if I go to a good mm-hmm. class or a seminar that I'm teaching or whatever it might be. And then once it's over, it's power down. Deflate, and then, yeah. I've, then I've got to recharge and I like to recharge yeah. by myself or uh, in, in the company of very few people. Yeah. And that's okay. I, I remember when we had, I worked for a franchise when I used to teach and um, the guy came and he shook my hand and everything. And I shook his hand and we, we exchanged some words, but I was kind of, um, I let him go and talk to like the program manager and stuff. And I was mostly quiet. I didn't say that much. I was going over my lesson plan, um, making sure everything was on the mat, was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then the kids started showing up and then it flipped on and then sure. clap and then class started and then <laughs> it went yeah. up again. Yeah. And so it was explosive. There was a lot of kids there. It was loud. Um, I taught, um, it was like my background's Taekwondo and I, I do jujitsu for just for me, but mm-hmm. so I taught like a Korean karate system and everything. And they love to make just things loud, right. For the kids, cause the kids to get all the energy out yeah, yeah, yeah. and the parents like it. Um, I did Taekwondo when I was a kid. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's like, you're, like, you're, like you're just doing a punch and you're counting and you're just like rah, screaming at yeah. you. So, it's yeah. cathartic. It's cathartic. And yeah, it uh, is. afterwards, all the kids left, powered back down. Yeah. <laughs> and he came up to me. He's like, He's like, I gotta be honest, man. I thought this was gonna be a dud after when I when I met when I met you. And then you just came alive at, during the class. And I was like, that's Yeah, funny. that's the, you know, my friends, the my assistant instructor, the program manager, my friends and everything, they they thought that was funny because they they had known me for a while. So that's <laughs> very low key. And then mm-hmm. class starts and it and it and it goes. But yeah, um that's uh that's how you, that's how you got to be. People think that introverts can't, um, that they're anti, you know, asocial or antisocial or they can't be, um, they're awkward and they can't, yeah. they can't meet people or enjoy being in social studies. That's just not true. Well, and a lot of people use it as an excuse. Um, yeah. you know, because people, this is something that I've been big about recently thinking about the belief systems that we hold on to, you mm-hmm. know, so 
people hold on to certain beliefs about things and mm. it doesn't mean that they're true. It means that they're a belief. Like it's something you believe, but it doesn't mean that it's true for everyone, you know, because someone else is an introvert or someone else does this thing. And all of a sudden they have completely opposite results mm-hmm. because they choose not to believe in what you believed. Right. So for instance, you'll, yeah. he, you'll hear introverts say, Oh, I can't do that. I'm more of an introvert or, you know, I'm not this yeah. and that, whatever. It's like, no, you absolutely can because there's lots of people that are just like you that are doing it. Um, and even sometimes people that say like, you know, they'll say things like, Oh, I can't, you know, do content because I, I don't know how, I don't write well or I don't do this well. I don't, like, yep. So what? Nobody does. It's yeah. like everybody had to put the fourth thing. Yeah. You're, you're putting a belief system on yourself that you can't do this and you're accepting that belief, but it doesn't mean that it's true. It just means it's what you believe. And yeah. so, you know, I, you have to be careful with that. Limiting belief. It, uh, there's so many, so many limiting beliefs, especially with the pop psychology, the whole introversion, extroversion thing. I've tried to, I have an interest in psychology. I've tried to track that down. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think there, there's, there's truth to it in terms of like how it is that you energize yourself. Yeah. You know, introverted people are more energized. They have to recover with, with more downtime, um, mm-hmm. especially time to themselves. Whereas extroverted people, they feel, more they get energy they draw energy from being around other people and um it's that's 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 the extent of it it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be shy it doesn't mean that you can't learn to perform some of the best performers are introverts yeah a lot of were deathly afraid to get up um on stage when i started teaching um they hired me to teach and then all of a sudden i'm in front of 400 people at an event and -hmm. i have to give a lesson or something to try and promote the school or I'm in front of like a, a church or some organization in, in the community. It's like, Oh yeah, you got to just go do this. And, and it's like, you know, are you going to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't do my job because I'm an introvert. Yeah. Hey, you have to figure it out. I did it. I did fine. It's not that bad. You can say, um, and ah, you know what I mean? Like you're not like, like people aren't going to judge you because you say, um, somewhat yeah. just have an idea of what you're going to say and be personable. It's like, it's, it's not too, people make a, a much bigger deal about, breaking out of their comfort zone with things like that then I think needs to be made. Yeah, I think it's this idea, like I, I've noticed this where like as society sin, tends to go on, we like, <laughs> I think it's interesting. It's like, you'll see people make a fuss about don't put labels on me and don't put me into a box. But then people have this little knack for creating lots of boxes for themselves to be yep. trapped in. You know, yeah. so it's like, don't put me in a box, but I'm going to put myself in a box. And then people cling to that. They cling to these ideas yeah. um, in all sorts of of different manners, you know. And I, I'm glad that when I was growing up, some of those boxes weren't available. Like we didn't have names for those boxes because yep. I think that it would have been a negative thing for me because it could have been a place to essentially avoid discomfort mm-hmm. and just like not do things that were difficult to me because I could be like, hey, I, I'd like to do that, but you know, I'm a blank, so I'm, I'm in this box and I can't do that. I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll have to exclude me. You know, it's like, I think it would have been a terrible thing for me. So, yeah, I agree. Self labeling is, is, um, if you're, if you're trying to be like a scientist, you know, you can, la- labeling is like having a taxonomy can really be helpful for relating things to each other and understanding things. But if you're a regular person, you don't think in scientific terms. You're not thinking of trying to taxonomize your experience so you can understand it. Um, you're going to limit yourself when you start slapping labels on what you do. Oh, I'm an introvert. Oh, I'm an INTJ, whatever, you know, unicorn. Um, 
it, like, you know, I'm not a fan of Myers Briggs, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it, I mean, but, you know, it's even like with that, like we, as humans, we, we classify things. We like to put things into um, categories and chunks because it makes, mm-hmm. it makes things easier. So for instance, when we come to know a person a certain way, we like them to stay that way. So this way we can, it, it, we don't have to think about it. Right. And so we mm-hmm. do this naturally. Um, but the problem is, is that just because you made up a story about what it is doesn't mean it's true. It's like, for instance, yeah. calling certain animals herbivores doesn't mean it's true. Like they, they, they do eat mostly plants, but it doesn't mean they won't eat meat. You know, I mean, there's yeah. plenty of, there's plenty of videos of like deers and eating chipmunks and all this other stuff. And right. you know, like, it's like, what, what's that, what's that nice herbivore doing eating meat? It's like humans gave it that label. It didn't give itself a label. You know, that's nature. Nature doesn't care. Nature doesn't have these imaginary stories that it tells itself. That's humans. And those imaginary stories are really helpful. I think the big key is that when you tell yourself an imaginary story about yourself, it, it best serve you well. So make sure that you're conscious of the stories that you tell yourself about yourself and make sure it's like, is that the best story that I can tell myself? Is that actually helping me? Because if it's mm-hmm. not helping me, let's go ahead and get rid of that sucker. But if it's helping you, then run with it. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting I'm, I'm a big proponent. I'm not a proponent of self-deception, but I am a big proponent of telling yourself stories that are going to get you to the next level. But it requires self-awareness because mm-hmm. fra- the, this, the, the, the thing that overlaps between frauds and high-functioning people that are high-performing people, rather, is that they both tell themselves narratives that aren't quite true yet, mm-hmm. but the fraud tells it as if thinks it's true for like an insecure reason, right? Because he wants mm-hmm. to be that, but he doesn't want to put in the work. So he never gets that level. Whereas the person who's who's high performing tells tells him tells himself that story because he wants to get there. He's driving himself to that. He doesn't want to be a fraud. Um, and I think I'm I really am a proponent. I think most people are proponent of po- positive self talk, but uh, of really of telling yourself the story of you know I'm. I'm a hard worker. I'm disciplined. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to slack today. I'm going to, I'm going to solve this math problem. I'm going to learn to read this. You know, I'm going to learn to to speak this language. I'm going to learn this tactic, you know, on the mat. Um, even if you're not there yet, thinking of yourself as already being the person who can accomplish it and then acting accordingly. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It does. And I, I think for me, like when I, like when I think of self love, I think some of the most detrimental things that people say is when people say, Oh, I'm just not good at X or mm-hmm. I'm just not very good at Y. I hear that all the time with people like in jujitsu, people say, I'm just not good with sweeps. Bullshit. Yeah. You, just need to, you just need to train them more. Or, yeah. so, you know, I remember when I was younger, I told myself that I wasn't good at math. Um, I didn't understand that basic. <laughs> I don't know why it never clicked. Just no one ever explicitly told me this, but they math is just a bunch of, it's a set of rules. Right. Yeah. And these rules don't change. You just use them in different situations, but they're pretty yeah. much always the same. And once you learn the the way that they're used. And then I remember one of my friends was a, essentially tutored me a little bit with my math. And when I understood that, I'm like, oh, this is this is not bad at all. I'm not bad at math. I just didn't quite understand it yet. Yeah. And so a lot of people, I think the uh, the self-talk and like I'm I'm this and that that stuff can be good. Um, I don't necessarily use it as much. I do get a good visualization of what I want in life. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I have to fight against sometimes, which I've always had to fight against, is basically when something is initially hard or whenever I fail at something is initially wanting to revert back to, ah, that's just not my thing. You know, and that's where you have to be careful because I, at least for me, if someone's like me, like you got to be careful with that because 
it's very easy to go, oh, that's not for me. And then just stop when, how do you know? Like you haven't really given it a fair shake and really yeah. who's to say what's good for anybody can pretty much be good at anything if they really, really want to. So, yeah. you know, it just takes time. Yeah. Anybody can be competent if they put in the, the, the quality of practice and the amount of practice that they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So pivoting here, um, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm not, I'm only going to ask you like one or two more questions, but Fine, um, no I mentioned, you mentioned culture before I, uh, I am, you, you seem like the guy uh, that would have a really great culture at your gym. So how, how have you gone about building your gym culture and how do you maintain it? Hmm. Well, I think the culture comes as a byproduct of the person that's creating it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's going to start from the top down. Yeah. Uh, whatever the, 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 whatever the leader at the top does and acts and the way that they do things is going to be what everybody else follows. And again, I, when I say that, I'm very intentional about that word act, not says, because we know plenty of people who say things, but don't, don't follow up that those words with actions. And uh, it's like uh, Emerson, you know, he, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said that, you know, what you say speaks so, or what you do speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. Right. So your actions are so much more powerful. It's like little kids. You've taught little kids uh, before in martial arts. They watch you like a hawk. Yeah. And you've got to be incredibly intentional about what you do because saying one thing and then doing another one, they will look at what you're doing and they'll call you out on it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, you know, and adults do this too. They just don't necessarily call you out on it, but they internalize it. And so, you know, it, it came from a place of me trying to create something that I would have wanted. Really, it's what it comes down to. This is something that would have been really useful to me. This is the kind of environment I would have liked to have when I was coming in, getting started in jujitsu. And I was trying to create that. And, you know, the process by which it happens is simply being mindful of the culture. Um, and sometimes you have to, you know, you have to trim out the weeds a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's people that are not good people. They're not good fits for your gym. And so if they're in a leadership position or if they're getting close to that point, you, you have to remove them. Um, it's not, not the most fun situation, but it's just the nature of the beast if you want to keep the, the, the culture going. And then, but again, I think it comes from a place of, of, of inside you, at least it has for me. I'm not a, I'm more of an intuitive feeling type person. So mm-hmm. um, this is just what I want to create. And then, so it's going to come through for that. And I'm just trying to make a gym that would have been awesome for me so I can make it awesome for my students, you know, and um, we try to do as much as we can for the people. And, you know, I think that, that from a business standpoint with what we do, I'm incredibly respectful of the fact that people are coming to my gym and, you know, it is a business, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very much trying to create a, like a truly remarkable experience for people and to create a close knit environment. And so there's this kind of middle ground where I can't go too far into the business because if you go too far into the business, you become one of these kind of funky martial arts gyms. That's like constantly just cashing their students out and ringing them out for money. Um, but at the same time, you can't go completely 100% just like friend personality side because then people take advantage of you, which people have took and taken advantage of me when I was younger. And so you've got to straddle this, this line in the middle somewhere where you create a good business that's strong, where you're offering people stuff, you're making money and you're keeping the gym strong so you can serve yourself and the people around you in a more powerful way. But at the same time, you create the person that you create that, that personal aspect to it where people feel like they're getting this, this close knit group environment. And you can sort of keep those two things going at the same time if you're if you're smart about it. Awesome, awesome, very good. Uh, where can people find you? 
Um, if people want to find me, uh, you can find me on my, my YouTube. Obviously, is jujitsu. Um, you can put that in there. C H E W J I T S U. Um, you can find me on social media by the same tag uh, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. So um, I have all that stuff out there. You can find me if you're interested, and go from there. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show, man. You're welcome, brother. Thank you.